Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 238 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Wednesday. It's a special edition because the deadline is looming and the Braves just swept a doubleheader. And joining me to talk about both of those things, Scott Coleman is here. Hello, sir. Doubleheader sweeps are good for the soul, especially when it's the Yankees. And I think after losing a bit of a heartbreaker on Sunday night and anytime you face two good pitchers like the Yankees through today, I think people would have been happy with a split and for them to, to sweep. It was a, it was a good day to be sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we were not planning necessarily to do a podcast right now today. It's Wednesday late into the evening, but then it sort of hit me that the deadline was going to be on Monday. And as a result of that, that kind of screws up the schedule a little bit because normally we record Sunday night. That kind of felt silly to do a podcast, at least a planned podcast Sunday night with a Monday afternoon deadline. So we're bringing you this special episode midweek to preview the deadline, talk about the games, and then we will probably hold off, unless the Braves make a major deal, which they certainly could in the next couple of days, we'll hold off until Monday after the deadline, and we'll record then instead of our normal Sunday night slot. So there's a programming note for you at the top here, but an extra podcast for your listening midweek. Um, okay, before we get to the deadline stuff, which we'll spend some time on later in the podcast, let's talk about the game, the games, I should say today and also what happened in the last couple of days since Sunday night. So the big news that we were sort of geared up for was that Ian Anderson was was promoted on Tuesday. Then the game was rained out on Tuesday. But that was the big news that it was Anderson up. Uh, they sent down Tukey and Alex Jackson and they also reactivated Ronald Acuna. So it was the combination that many uh, looked forward to of Anderson and Acuna being back. Then there was a little bit of uh, drama with the lineup and some late uh, some lateness on the transaction wire on Tuesday. Um, they originally announced that Pache was not going to be going down, and then they activated Marquecas pretty late in the day, again before the rainout, and then Pache was optioned down. So I say all of that to just recap what transpired. Um, obviously, we know what happened in terms of the games on Tuesday, but how do you feel about basically just Pache? Because everything else was kind of... We knew it was going to happen. Anderson looked good to have, so we'll touch on that in a second. But Pache going down was the only like conversation point. My general thought was that it was better to option him down if he was not going to play, but uh, it was obviously something that people were talking about. Yeah, that's where I was at. I think if you aren't going to be able to play him, at least semi-regularly, it doesn't really make sense in, in both of Acuna's. Uh, since Acuna came back, he was in center field both games today, and I think facing two righties, it was pretty indicative of moving forward unless there's some kind of injury or they just want to give someone a breather um, Ender is going to be on the bench, effect, effectively the fourth outfielder on the team. So if, if Pache is not going to get to play regularly, I, I guess it makes more sense for him to be 
at the Gwinnett site, seeing, you know, taking batting practice, whatever it is, just being ready on the chance that he's needed at some point. Um, right now, I think it's pretty obvious they have to roll with uh, Acuna in center and then Duvall and Marcakis has worked and Ozuna is the DH. We've seen it's best when Marcel is not in the field, but his bat has been so good, it's hard to keep him out of the lineup and, and you don't want to have to make that decision. So uh, as long as they're not giving Ender regular bats, I'm fine with, with Pache going back down to the minors and who knows, he may come back here at some point. Right, and I tweeted this today too, but my general thought is like it would be nice to see Pache play most days, but that was never seemingly on the table. Um, so as soon as that was off the table, if the choices are have Pache be your fifth outfielder and like have him run sometimes, play some defense only uh, in some games, or go back to the alternate site and play and get some more reps, that's the better choice. Um, we'll see if they bring him back up. Now that they've, they've used an option, so they don't have any real reason like contractually to leave him down. So as the rosters get interesting, if there's an injury, you can bring him back up. Um, playoffs is a long way away, but the Braves are now widely, widely, widely projected to be in the playoffs. Maybe he would be sort of an ace uh, reserve to have on your roster at that point in time. Um, we'll see what happens with the roster. But for now, I'm generally okay with it. We'll see um, if and when he is back. Um, and... It is just, like, like you said, it's more palatable when Ender is not playing in the lineup. Um, I don't want to bury Ender again on this podcast, but like you said, it was certainly indicative that he did not play either game today against right-handed pitching. That is uh, about as strong of a statement as you could possibly make, and Ronald Acuna yeah. playing center field and doing so adequately is uh, opening the door for that decision. It doesn't hurt to have a, you know, even if Ender's defense has fallen off a little bit, it doesn't hurt to have that guy as your fourth outfielder Oh yeah, uh, on, on your roster, as you said. Assuming the wheels do not, I, I say this as I knock on wood, the wheels do not entirely fall off. And after all the crap the Braves have dealt with over the first month, I guess you can never say never. But um, yeah, it doesn't hurt to have Ender. And then again, uh, who knows if they get into a playoff-like scenario that they, they have kind of those specialty players who they can use in certain scenarios it is never a bad thing to have. Right, and maybe they will not want to play Ronnie in center field every single day. You might throw Ender in there every few days in center field, move Ronnie to right, or whatever they want to do. Um, as long as it's not against a lefty, it's like semi-defensible to play Ender. I don't know. We'll see. As long as he hits ninth and all that stuff, we can, we can litigate that later on. But having him as your fourth, fifth outfielder is a lot more uh, palatable, let's just say, than starting him most days in center field. And that's the beauty of Ronald Acuna, who's very good at baseball. Um, very good. In fact... Let's talk about the games that happened today real quickly before we uh, get to the a break and then some deadline talk. But the first game was Ian Anderson's debut, and we'll touch on him in a second. But um, the Braves hit three home runs that basically won them the game, all against Garrett Cole. Uh, Ronald Acuna hit his longest home run of his career in his first plate appearances off, plate appearance off the IL against the best pitcher maybe in the world, which is a heck of a combination. Uh a tape measure shot off Garrett Cole was not what you would predict, probably even for Ronald Acuna to do out of uh, off an IL stint, but that happened. And then Dansby and Ozuna hit two home runs in the third inning, took a four four nothing lead that Ian Anderson was not going to give away. So before we dive into Ian Anderson, I mean, to do what the Braves did to Garrett Cole was pretty notable. Obviously, yeah. he's human and he he gets hit sometimes, but that's a guy that other than maybe Jacob Degrom, um, maybe like someone like Max Scherzer is like in the tier. Oh, yeah. Top top tier, and no one hits him like that usually. Yeah, well, and like this was, I think it was the first time in 28 starts uh, that Garrett Cole has lost in the regular season, which is just absurd. And even though he had a quote unquote bad day, you know, four runs over six innings is not exactly terrible. Um, you can just, I mean, you just as a baseball fan, you can appreciate watching him 
His fastball is so lively. The slider, I, I don't know how anyone ever makes contact with it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you talk about a doubleheader against when and one of those is Garrett Cole. Uh, at that point, you're probably just hoping. I'm sure the numbers said even if even if the Braves split today, you, you'd be happy with it and take it. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and for Acuna to do it in his first at bat, uh, I noticed the uh, very first pitch of the game was a 97-mile-an-hour fastball up in Acuna's grill uh, right under the chin. And, and then uh, I would imagine that was not an accident. You want to get Ronnie off the plate, maybe get him a little uncomfortable. And, and then he certainly answered with uh, just an absolute moonshot to left center. It was The ball was absolutely crushed. Yeah, if you go if you go by the Vegas odds, which is not like a perfect system, but those guys are smart for a reason. Um, the Yankees were a significantly bigger favorite in Game One than the Braves were in Game Two. Now the Braves were favored in Game Two behind Max Fried, but if you with with that as a backdrop, like a split would have been a perfectly solid uh, result today for the Braves. And Game One is one you feel like you just stole because. Anderson was great, but we didn't know that was going to happen. And Garrett Cole, like you said, just never loses. And the Yankees, yeah. the Yankees are not really the Yankees in all capital letters right now. Their their lineup is not the same as it usually is at the moment, which is a nice break for Atlanta. But still, to basically blank them uh, for the for for the vast majority of the game and yeah. get up and give up, you know, get three homers off Garrett Cole, that was a heck of a, a heck of a result, obviously. Yeah, cool stat. Uh, since Statcast began tracking things, there was a, a great note that. Uh, for the first time ever in a single game, did a pair of teammates hit two home runs that went at least 469 feet. Uh, Acuna's went 476, and Ozuna's went 469. So um, if they did that even off of a you know AAA kid who came up for you know the emergency star for a doubleheader, it'd be noticeable. But uh, you know to do it off of as you said, for my money, probably the second best pitcher on the planet uh, is it's pretty damn cool. Yeah, for sure. That's kind of mind-blowing, honestly. Um, but even with all that said, the return of Acuna is a huge thing. But the headliner of the day was Ian Anderson. So let's talk about him for a second. He uh, had a no-hitter for more than five innings, which is uh, crazy. Uh, gave up a home run with one out in the sixth to give it up. But his final line, six innings, one hit, one run, two walks, six yeah. strikeouts, and 90 pitches. Um, candidly, I did not get to watch this because I was at work. Um, I saw the highlights. But I'm not. Uh, I'm not person that is qualified enough to talk about this right now. Other than the fact that I know he was awesome, but uh, you saw more of it than I did. So, what, what was your takeaway from Anderson today? Uh, incredibly impressive, as you said. That he did not quite face the you know, judge was out for a start, and and no Stanton, and no uh, Glaber Torres. But again, this Yankees lineup is really dangerous. As you just one hit allowed, and it was kind of a wall scraping. Just got over the fence home run. He was pretty close to carrying the no hitter into the final inning. Um, but super impressive and as as advertised. I think uh, the scouting report on Anderson from a couple of folks, you know, friend of the program David Lee, uh, the changeup has really really improved, and we we know how important it is for pitchers to have three pitches, especially as they get through the lineup a second and third time. Uh, the changeup was crisp, but was falling off the plate. I think at least four or five of his strikeouts came on that changeup. Uh, the breaking ball was a little off, but but again, he was he was mixing it in well enough. Uh, and then the fastball, which you and I talked about on Sunday night, there's been a theme that all these young pitchers for the Braves come up and they, what's their issue? It's not the breaking stuff. It's locating and establishing the fastball. And Anderson came right out and pounded the strike zone with fastballs. He was on the corners. It was not over the plate. He was pitching up in the zone, which is kind of his MO. Uh, it was really, really impressive. It was not a case of line drives getting smacked all over the place. And it was just some favorable luck. 
uh, a lot of pop-ups and a lot of strikeouts and that's a good uh, a good recipe for success yeah again like no one could have even the biggest Ian Anderson zealot would not have predicted what he what he did today like he was obviously so good and it gives Braves fans um optimism moving forward it's also a positive that you know Anderson's not a guy who's had elite control in the minors if you look at his resume uh in the past you know last year in triple a he really struggled to find a plate it was five starts but you know that was notable and then even previously he was really good in earlier stops in the minors but he had a walk rate hovering between like the high threes and the low fours per nine innings which is not terrible but it's not great so to have him come up and throw strikes and pound the zone and look like that and you know i was seeing the people that we trust and talk about it throughout the start and talking about how he was uh just sort of the gumption to do a couple different things like throw his change up in some certain counts and just pitch like a veteran basically out of the shoot which is what you obviously want to see we'll yeah. see how he responds to this of course but as a 22 year old you can't really ask for anything more than he did today <laughs> and the braves have you know that just the gaping hole that we're going to talk about again later on in the pod with, with regard to the trade deadline you know it's a lot of pressure we, we sort of made note of that on sunday about how it's like yeah it'd be really nice if he came in and pitched well and he obviously did that in this spot yeah. uh and that's all you can kind of ask for is that he's he's now in the rotation in capital letters mm-hmm. and in pen until he until he pitches his way out of it which hopefully <laughs> hopefully hopefully never happens so yeah. we'll yeah. see yeah i mean it was i noticed uh before the game today I, this just blew my mind the braves other than max freed did not have a starting pitcher record a win all year long and this is a team that is 16 and 12 now 18 and 12 isn't that just doesn't that kind of blow your mind and i know pitcher wins are kind of silly and they are, but it's still wild. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like I mean, that stat doesn't really mean anything in the grand scheme. Yep. A pitcher, pitcher wins are, are bad, but it's still like hard to do when you have sure. this many team wins. I know they've basically won. Max Freed has been ridiculous. We'll talk about him in a second, but to still to have no one else get yep. through enough innings and pitch pitch well enough in a game that you won to this point uh, halfway through the season. I know it's a short season, but still, it's thirty thirty plus games they played now. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it was. I was like, man. Is that right? Is that surely this this team has sixteen wins? Surely somebody has lucked into you know five innings, even if they didn't pitch great. The you know the lineup scored a bunch of runs, but nope. So, uh, good job, Ian. Seriously, it was it was an incredible performance. Um, I I do want to mention too. I like this seven inning doubleheader thing. I don't know about you. I know you said They're you fun. couldn't catch the game, but I enjoy them. It feels like the games move quicker. Uh, it's enjoyable. I hope beyond this year, as things get on to you know semi normal, hopefully sooner than later. Uh, baseball finds a way to work in a couple of, of these shortened double headers to give the guys another day away from the stadium. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also weird, but I do think that if you have to have a double header, it does kind of make it livelier in a lot of ways. You know, the games kind of zoom. In fact, I look behind the curtain. I had to record a different podcast before this one. And I was just doing the math in my head of when the game should end, and, and I didn't really realize that it was a seven inning game. I know, I know, I did, but I just, I, normally I'm thinking of three, three and a half hours for the game. And I was talking about when we'd start this podcast, I'm thinking, oh, this is game is going to be over way faster than I thought it was going to be over, which isn't a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, so well, it's yeah, just I mean, interesting. They, they got through two games today in about four and a half hours combined of like real time. I mean, it's great, right? And that, that includes, uh, you know, they had the, the delay of, of <clears throat> 30, 45 minutes. Guys get refreshed, whatever it is. But yeah, so even again, even in this non-COVID world, whenever that is, um, I, I would totally be in favor of not all the time. Of course, doubleheaders are tough on everybody, even if they are shortened. But um, it was enjoyable. It, it probably doesn't hurt the Braves are 4-0 in these things now. If the Braves right. were 0-4, I'd probably say this is the dumbest rule ever. 
but, but nonetheless, whenever uh, it is, it, you're right. It feels like it. The game kind of changes a little bit, and um, it was an enjoyable break for sure. Yeah, and game two, uh, you know, was pretty straight ahead. Max Free was great again. Another gem from him. Uh, he has a 1.35 ERA in seven starts this year. Basically, Cy Young level stuff. And then the big swing was the Freddie Freeman home run in the sixth to effectively win the game. Um, down from down one zero to up two one and a win. Um, I don't have any takeaways here other than you know Freddie. Freddie made a comment after the game about how he seemed how he was quote starting to click, like not even just clicking, like he's starting to feel better mm-hmm. after he had the slow start and the COVID recovery and all that. Um, it gets pretty scary if Freddie starts getting in a rhythm because he has already been good. Um, so that's a good sign. And Freddie's yeah. just been ridiculous. I mean, we've said it enough times now where the points kind of made made, but they just keep winning every time he pitches and it's not sustainable, but it's been huge. I mean, Freddie was also asked post game who the MVP of the team was. And he said, Max Freed, not close. And I totally agree with him because he's Max Freed's just carrying the rotation in a way that we all know, but it's still recognizable. Yeah, no, I mean, you can't say enough about Max even, I mean, obviously he's, he's at some point he's going to come back to earth a little bit, but even then you look at his underlying metrics at 2.31 FIP a 3.58 X FIP. I mean, his strikeout walk numbers are good. He still hasn't given up a home run this year, uh, which is amazing. Uh, again, you can't say enough about Max. I think he, he puts together another couple weeks. Uh, the Braves might have a legitimate Cy Young chance. And I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, the last time who won the last Cy Young for the Braves. This is going to be riveting podcast material. Oh, geez. You don't I don't, know who I don't it is. think I know. I'm, um, um, I mean, it, it surely it had to be one of Maddox Glavin and Smoltz, but I it could not tell you what year, I'm looking it up right now. There you um, go. While we uh, talk. We'll play the Jeopardy music, yeah. But again, I mean, as silly as it is, and, and I think voters have in recent years come to appreciate that traditional metrics don't mean as much. The one year Jacob deGrom won Cy Young, I think he had like nine wins. So, But again, you look at Freed, his traditional numbers, if you're more of a traditionalist, they're awesome. He's 5-0, and oh, good strikeout, low ERA, whatever it is. Um, but again, there, there's not much smoke and mirrors going on either. He's, he has clearly taken another step, uh, with his game planning and development and his pitches are all really working right now. Uh, it's a lot of fun to watch. Did that, did that buy you enough time? It absolutely did. And, uh, <laughs> it's kind of wild to remember this. We all kind of know this in, in, intrinsically. The Braves won one, two, three, four, five, six Cy Youngs in the nineties, uh, which is just yep. a ridiculous number. Um, the last winner was Glavin uh, in 98. Glavin won 98. And also, that was the same, uh, same year as Roger Clemens. But uh, there was a stretch from 91 uh, until 98 where the Braves won it in 91, 93, 94, 95, 96, Good. and 98. Now, granted, four of those were ma- uh, three of those were Maddox in a row. But yeah. uh, include, uh, he won four in a row, but one of them was with the Cubs. Regardless, uh, it's been a while, and Max Freed – if the season ended today, the fit, my, my favorite phrase, Scott. If the season ended today, <laughs> Freed, pro, Freed probably wins. Uh, yeah, there was a, there was some Trevor Bauer stuff when, when I mentioned that on Sunday, but then Bauer had kind of a rough start in his last outing. So I think Freed is the leader in the clubhouse at this moment. Yep, pretty cool. I mean, seriously, again, you, you talk about all the things that have gone wrong for the Braves this year. Uh, Freed has been an incredible, uh, and, and again, it's not like this wasn't expected. I mean, we, we sat here on the the preseason podcast and talked about how good. Freed had a chance to be in to develop and he's, you know, in his mid twenties now, which is generally when pitchers tend to peak. Um, but yeah, you, you can't say enough about Freed. It's, it's enjoyable to watch him. He attacks hitters. The curveball is just so, so good. And, uh, you know, again, another month. And I think he'll really be, he'll be right there. 
Yep, he's been great. Uh, okay, that's enough on today. We were to keep this a little bit shorter, and we're probably going to fail at that, as we always do. But uh, after a quick break, we will come back and talk about the uh, trade deadline, which is coming up in a hurry. So hold on tight. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. All right, Scott. The deadline for trades this year is on Monday, August 31st, so pretty cl- pretty close to now, at 4 p.m. Eastern. And also, for the record, there's no second deadline this year. A lot of the times, you know, you see those waiver deals that happen way after the traditional deadline. Uh, famously, the Justin Verlander trade was the big one, where it was like the last possible moment of the waiver deadline. This year, it's one deadline. There's nothing else happening after that. It's a true trade deadline. And it's obviously strange with all the shortened season stuff, but it's coming. It's Monday. We've alluded to it a little bit, but let's just dive into a couple of things that could happen for Atlanta because, you know, obviously, even with Ian Anderson making, uh, hopefully, his presence known continually in the rotation, the Braves still have a need, a starting pitcher, and multiple national writers I've seen um, have basically indicated that the Braves are expected to make a move. They don't have to, I guess. There's not like a rule they have to here, but I think everyone's expecting them to do something in the rotation. I have no idea what it's going to be. And honestly, the big thing before we get into like some names here is that Alex Anthopoulos has been famously good at avoiding rumors. It's basically been, Mm. here's a trade when we announce it for the Braves, and it's usually kind of out of nowhere. So it's a pretty safe bet that we'll be wrong about all these names, and maybe there'll be a... uh, a deal that just emerges out of nowhere. But we kind of know who the sellers are in theory because this year no one that is within striking distance of the playoffs is looking to sell. And basically that's almost the entire National League is still uh, in the mix. American League is a little bit more clear-cut, but uh, there there are just some teams that you have to start with that could be selling. But for the most part, this is an interesting one both because of the small sample size season and also because there's just more teams in the mix that are not looking to make trades probably. And it makes it hard to figure out who's available. Well, and in normal years, of course, right. You, you have the two months, right? So you have a little more of of an idea. Of course, you're playing 162 instead of 60. Um, Right now, as you said, other than I think two teams, other than the pirates and the diamondbacks, I want to say who have fallen apart. I think everyone has, I don't know what the number is, but at least like a 40% chance of making the playoffs in the National League, which is just absurd. Um, It's going to be different. And the other thing, too, which I forget which national reporter said it, but he talked to a a front office executive and they said in normal years, teams, of course, build in money to their budgets, or at least most teams do, to withstand some salary coming their way during the trade deadline. And Thopolis has talked about this numerous times. He's not the only one. 
if your budget is 150 million for the year, you probably want to go into the season at 140, 145 because you don't want to be locked in and not have any kind of financial flexibility come trade deadline. We saw, well, we, I mean, we, we, we've made fun of that in the past a lot with the Braves and they, they did sure. it last year. Yep. I totally, they, I mean, they, you they couldn't, spent add, couldn't add Melanson and, and green and Martin, but if you didn't have some cash set aside, um, the executive that this reporter talked to said that I believe the quote was every single dollar is going to matter this year. And I would assume in normal times, if a team is competitive and fans are buying up tickets in groves and, and, and finances are good, right? I think you're more likely to get approval from the guys who write the checks if you want to spend an extra couple million dollars data reliever. Um, this front office exec made it sound like, again, I think he repeated himself, every single dollar is going to matter. So what does that mean? It probably means we see a few less trades. I don't anticipate a super crazy trade deadline, but again, maybe, I mean, it's just one exec's opinion. Maybe they'll be wrong. And just because if 25 teams don't want to spend money, it only takes a couple to have a decent trade deadline. Um, but hopefully the Braves, because they have a team that can at least on paper make a run, you see what happens once you get in, of course. Um, you, you would hope that Anthopolis makes, even if nothing drastic, a couple of moves to help the team. Yes, and we don't know what they're going to be, but with all that said, there are a couple names that we want to talk about. And uh, as a reminder, even if you believe in Ian Anderson and write him in pen in the rotation, the Braves still have two or three spots open <laughs> in the rotation. So <laughs> yeah. they have to do something. And they have Freed and Anderson, and there's not much else there that you uh, are in love with. Um, so keep that in mind. Okay, let's talk about some options. Most of them are going to be pitchers because of the obvious reasons. Uh, and these are not in any order. They're just kind of what I wrote down. And I want to just throw them out there and make sure we talked about some guys. Uh, the headliner that people have been talking about the last few days that's a legitimate like star-level player is Mike Clevenger of the Indians. He seems to be available. He had the weird uh, COVID demotion to the minor league because he, he broke quarantine. Um, and apparently that did not go over well in Cleveland. Uh, so he could be available on the market. Um, I would imagine he's, he would cost a ton because he's under control for three more years. Um, and he's really like a top, I don't know, 20 pitcher in the league. He's been that good the last two years. He's yeah. an excellent pitcher. That's the best case scenario if you're a Braves fan. But at the same time, you probably have to give up a pretty big ransom to get oh, Clevenger. Yeah. It's just worth it's worth bringing him up because the Braves do have assets that they wanted to just like push all in. I would be surprised if they did this, but he is the guy who is the most notable on this list. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, Cleveland is in a, a weird predicament, and not to turn it into an, an Indians podcast, but uh, this Clevenger, if they're going to move Clevenger, they have Lindor, they have Jose Ramirez, they have a couple of pieces that are very, very coveted and they could load up for that. He feels like somebody to me who's going to get moved in the offseason if, if there is a chance. Um, don't get me wrong, the Braves add Clevenger. Other than the Dodgers and maybe the Yankees that then get healthy, I think you'd probably put the Braves with the third best odds to win the World Series. If they could make it happen without absolutely wrecking the farm system, which they might have to do to get Clevenger. Yeah, um, just just for the record, this this is a guy where you might have to tr trade like Pache in the deal. Yeah. That's the yeah. kind of that's that's the kind of that's the kind of player Clevenger is on the market given his cheap control and mm -hmm. how good he is. It may not have to be Pache, but it's going to be a serious haul if you have to trade yeah. for him. Or or Waters and, you know, again, I, I know Waters the pitching more. prospects are yeah. probably drying up a little bit here quicker than you would like. But, yes, it, it is not it's not going to be a Bryce Wilson and Tukey Toussaint package. No, right? not for him. Um, so, again, I, I don't know. Who knows how serious Cleveland is? Cleveland, I, I don't know, based on what you want to read, if Jeff Passan had something that said basically Clevenger is available, but 
you're going to have to give up your firstborn and maybe more to get him in a, in a, what should be a buyer's or a seller's market rather given the, what we just talked about the, the lack of sellers. So anything's possible. All it takes is one team Braves or not to offer a crazy haul and get him. But ultimately I, I don't think that one's going to happen. It would be a move that is unprecedented for Alex Anthopoulos in Atlanta. He's not done a move, anything close to like, like that in his time. I mean, eventually he might do that, but to this point, Anthopoulos has not done a move that's like push your chips in kind of move. And that's what that would be on Clevenger. Um, a little bit lower on the totem pole beyond him. There's a lot of other yeah. names. A little bit of a drop off. Uh, one of the popular teams to deal with for the Braves is the Mariners. Uh, one reason is that uh, Jeff Passan, you, you just mentioned him of ESPN, threw out Kyle Seeger to the Braves as a as an idea in a column this week. Seeger is, of course, not a pitcher, but someone who is pretty expensive yet pretty good. But Seattle could want to sell on him, and they also have a couple of starting pitchers that could be interesting. One of them is Taiwan Walker, who is a former top top prospect who's not been that kind of player for a while now. But Buster only said that he is uh, quote no doubt end quote that he'll be traded. So keep that in mind. And he's been solid this year in a small sample size. Um, we'll see. I don't think he's anything great, uh, despite his once-in-a-lifetime pedigree at one point in time. Uh, but Walker is available and mm. probably better than your non-Freedon Anderson options, if you want to be kind. So maybe yeah. like a combination deal of Seager and Walker might make sense. And they also, if they want to, if they want to aim higher, they have Marco Gonzalez, who is sincerely pretty good i'm not sure if the mariners want to trade him but he is making a little bit of money he's under control at a cheap price um still relatively as to how good he is so he's a better pitcher than walker probably less available than walker and would cost more but the mariners are a team that everyone is circling not just the braves as a potential like seller and they do have a couple of interesting pieces well, and because of that as as we've said whenever there's (laughs) if you have 15 teams that are looking to buy and five teams that are looking to sell and then a couple that are just kind of sitting in the in the middle of the pack waiting to see um, it generally helps the team selling get a higher return so walker is exactly that as you said yeah he's probably better than josh tomlin or robbie erland though that is not saying a whole bunch right now now if he's going to make in theory a playoff start for you if you trust him more than everyone else and i assume they probably would then if if it's a middle tier pitching prospect maybe you do it depending on what the market's like but um Taiwan Walker as you said he's made I think five or six starts um had a couple good ones couple bad ones uh some of his stuff on baseball uh savant is not great um he's getting hit decently hard his pitches are nothing uh you know he hasn't discovered a a massive increase in velocity or movement or anything like that so Again, if, if they add him for a middle-tier prospect, I think it's something that, sure, we'll take it. It probably helps the Braves today and tomorrow, but nothing that's going to move the needle a ton. Yeah, he's pretty ordinary. Uh, Gonzalez is much better. It's just he's less available. Um, he might be available still, but he would be the better option there. And maybe you get into a combination like Seager-Walker deal. We can talk about that a little bit more later if we want to. Um, another, another team that is uh, willing to sell, conceivably, is the Giants, who are bad. And they're also out of it, basically. They're one of the few teams in the National League that really are out of yeah, it. And they have a bunch of pitching options. Yeah, tough to be in the National League West with just, you know, but the Padres and the Dodgers are, yeah. are almost locked in. Yeah. Good luck. Um, but they have, a, they have a trio of pitching options that have been mentioned. Uh, one of them is a former Brave and Kevin Gosman, who's been better this year. Uh, he's obviously pretty volatile, hot and cold kind of guy. He was cold in Atlanta at times. Uh, still someone who is, again, better than what the Braves currently have. But uh, we'll see. They also have Johnny Cueto, who is uh, 
a former ace, still a solid enough pitcher. He's very expensive, though, for next year, which is the big, the big uh, sticking point there for Cueto. Still a solid guy, but uh, is expensive, and that's the big thing about that. And then you have Trevor Cahill, who Cahill is very cheap and would be a certain like a discount. Maybe you plug him in and hope you get some decent like sort of innings out of him, but n- not a lot of upside there, but he is cheap. And uh, I wouldn't trade much for him, but uh, cer- certainly no. he's the third of these three, but he's also the cheapest of these three. Uh, do you have any thoughts? I know people are already cringing about a Gosman reunion, but <laughs> he is available, and I promise you he is better than what the Braves already have. Yeah, you're kind of buying high on him. I, I don't know. Yep. Obviously, the Braves had some interest, was it two summers ago when they traded for him? And just didn't work. Gosman was okay. He wasn't terrible. He had a couple of bad starts. He had a couple of really good starts. It just didn't just didn't work out for whatever reason. Um, uh, who knows if things would be different a second time around. Nothing has changed. It wasn't like he was 21 when he was with the Braves, and now he's 30, and he's completely evolved as a pitcher. Um, I don't know. Johnny Cueto, I've seen his name a lot. Um, uh, unless San Francisco wants to effectively pay his contract down 70 80%, I just, I'm not sure. The stuff is not great. He's been injured the last couple of years. I know he has the pedigree, and as you said a few years ago, he was a legitimate number one starter for them. But I'm just not sure how much is left in the tank. I guess, again, the barometer to clear here is, are you better than Josh Tomlin or Robbie Erlin or Tuki Toussaint or, or whoever? Yes, probably. But, again, unless San Francisco is willing to, one, give him away for effectively nothing – and eat a good chunk of the money the next two years. I just, I don't really love that. Yeah. I, I think the Giants about to pay something at least, and maybe, or maybe take on in their NCR tear or something like that. They got to, there's gotta be some money exchanging hands in that deal for Cueto. Cause he is expensive for next year as a quick refresher on Gosman in 2018. He was quite good with the Braves. He had a sub three ERA and 10 starts after he was acquired from the Orioles. And then 2019 last year, he was far less good. In uh, 16 starts, he had some uh, some good ones, but still uh, pretty pretty bad overall. Although his metrics were better than his actual ERA was, which is always the case for Gosman. So, yeah, hit and miss, we'll say. But Cueto, I'd rather have Cueto in a vacuum. It's just that Cueto's making more money, and there's uh, more of more of a uh, hiccup in the way of that deal happening. But the Giants are a team to circle because they are certainly in a position to sell, and everyone thinks that they probably will do something, and that aligns them with the Braves yeah. potentially. Yep. Um, next guy on the list that I wrote down was Trevor Williams, a 28 year old right-hander who was good in 2018, bad last year has been solid this year, um, and is arm eligible next year. So still under, still under control. And, uh, on, on, again, with the pirates on a team that is, uh, quite bad and could be willing to sell. Yeah. I think with Williams, again, he's, he's not someone who's necessarily going to excite you as we sit here watching freed and Anderson, you have to remind ourselves that, yeah, this rotation really is just those two guys at this point. So beggars probably shouldn't be choosers. Um, Williams has been okay this year. Um, his strikeouts are up a little bit, which is encouraging. Again, though, you're just looking at a five-game sample. He's a guy who is proven. He's, he's thrown, you know, he's made 25, 30 starts the last couple of years. So he's fairly durable. Um, so would he help the Braves? Yes. But I don't think, you know, if, if the tweet comes across, the Braves have acquired Trevor Williams I don't think you or I or anyone's going to get super, super excited, but again, it would, it would certainly help. Yeah. Last three plus seasons. So dating back to 2017, he has an ERA of 4.11 and that is fine. I mean, if, if the Braves could add Trevor Williams to the rotation, 
uh, you would feel a lot better about it than you do now. But like you said, he is not a spot that is uh, going to be terribly exciting for you. But again, he is better than uh, a lot of the other options that you could get. And, uh, you know, hit and miss. But last year, he was kind of bad, like, like I said. But uh, 2017, he had a 4.07 ERA. 2018, 3.11 ERA in uh, a lot of appearances and a lot of innings, 170 innings. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's, you know, if, like normally in normal times, like a fourth starter. Yep. But for the Braves, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> You'll take it. Yeah, that. I mean, no, nothing sexy. A, a low, low 90s fastball, decent breaking stuff. He's not, I mean, again, the, the strikeouts are up a little bit, though, again, we're talking about five starts. Um, historically, he doesn't walk many people. He, he gives up his average number of home runs. He gives up an average amount of contact. He is the epitome of like a mid to back end pitcher. And if, if you're the Braves, that that might be of appeal. Um, again, you're looking for guys who can eat innings. You're looking for guys who you can potentially give uh, starts to in a, in a short playoff series. And Williams is, is better than a good number of the options they have in house. Yeah. If you can get him for a reasonable price, I would be interested in Trevor Williams. That's the, uh, the Cliff Stones version of all that we just said. A couple more guys to get to, then we'll get out of here. Uh, one is Alex Cobb. Alex Cobb, uh, formerly a good pitcher at one point is very expensive for this year and next year, but he's on the Orioles, which is why he's on this list. And, and because the Orioles could be in his position to sell, he looks fine this year. Honestly, uh, he was genuinely awful in three starts last year. And that was all he made. Um, there's been some injury stuff there. He's expensive, but he'd be, he'd be a situation where you might be actually getting the Orioles to pay most of his salary. Yeah. I've just seen him mentioned. I almost didn't even add him to this list, but I've seen mm-hmm. him at least bandied about if Baltimore gets desperate to, to, to get rid of him, pays a bunch of his money. He could be an upgrade on what they have, but he is uh, definitely not exciting. Yeah. Yeah. They, they would effectively have to, pay down most if not all of his remaining money not even just this year but next um again i think we've said a couple times now maybe if a team is willing to take on ender and the nine million dollars he's out next year it might balance some money out but if they're going to do that i would aim a little bit higher than cobb 33 years old a couple of okay starts for the orioles as you said but a guy who's had some injury problems and just not sexy in the least and I mean, honestly, if, if you're looking for a guy who could potentially start a game three for you in a playoff series, I think I would prefer a bullpen game to, to Alex Cobb at this point. So, um, again, I, I guess if in another couple of days Baltimore is looking to give him away and the Braves, uh, if they can't land another pitcher, maybe they take him if he's for free. But uh, I lean towards passing and, and trying to aim a little bit higher, move the needle a little bit more. He was not obscenely durable in Tampa Bay, but in oh. six seasons, he had a 3.5 ERA in the, in the AL East. So at one point, he was good. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure that guy still exists, um, but it's just worth pointing out that if they could just unlock something, that's at least there's some upside there, potentially. And he's been okay this year. He's been pretty manageable in six starts. But uh, yeah, I'm, I tend to agree. It's The financial stuff is what scares you because he's owed a bunch. He's owed, he's owed, he's owed eight figures for next season. And at this moment in time, that is not a... Uh, commitment that anybody wants i don't think on alex cobb so yeah they would have to take ender and throw in some money i think for me to i think i think so think too. about that one yeah yep. yeah uh and last team i want to mention is the rangers who have a pair of very interesting pitchers and they also have uh, a guy in todd frazier who could be like a interesting throw-in veteran corner bat maybe third base a little bit um, but regardless, it's more about the pitchers, and it's uh, Mike Miner, good good friend, old friend, and then Lance Lynn is like the number two on this list behind Mike Clevenger in terms of interest and in, uh, in terms of actually being good. Um, Mike Miner was awesome last year. He's been pretty bad this year, 
and he's a pure rental, but we know he's been good in the past. And obviously the Braves, a different regime, but he's uh, a familiar face, clearly, and would eat some innings, etc. And then Lynn, there was actually an entire athletic piece about Lance Lynn and the Braves that, that DOB participated in, sort of back and forth. And uh, it was hypothetical, it was not reporting, but so, uh, certainly a guy who's very available by Texas. The cost to get him would be pretty high because he is really good and he's pretty cheap for this year and next year. But uh, Lynn is the guy, other than Clevenger, that could actually like swing something for the Braves in a, in a playoff series. If he's, if he's the yeah. guy he's been for the last year and a half, he's a legitimate playoff arm. I'm not sure oh, yeah. you can bank on that, but uh, he's good. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I pulled up Lance Lynn. I mean, how many people would have guessed the under? I mean, he was worth 6.8 war last year. I mean, yeah, he, it, was it, he was really good. Genuinely one of the best pitchers in baseball last year, even with the gopher ball. I mean, 200 plus innings. He's incredibly durable. Um, strikeouts have gone up considerably the last few years. Doesn't walk many people. I mean, on the year, 1.59 ERA, a 3.38 FIP. I'm looking at with pitchers this year, especially. I think you have to look at velocity and to have an idea of, of if it's hard, right? I mean, to, to miss four months and then just ramp things up. But he's great. He had a great – he came off a really good start, I think, in course field where he shut the Rockies out. Uh, Lynn is legitimately good. He's owed a decent chunk of change, owed $10 million next year. Um, if he continues to be the guy and there's no reason he shouldn't be, that is a bargain. Um, but at the same time, uh, Texas, while they maybe aren't competing this year, they do have that new stadium. I would imagine they want to be at least somewhat competitive next year, assuming they have fans. Um, they may not want to move Lynn. Uh, Miner's interesting. I don't know how you feel about Miner, but I think while he hasn't been great this year, uh, there's some upside there to be sure. Yeah, and uh, by the way, in terms of last year, he had a pretty bizarre stat line. He led the entire major leagues in batters faced. So I think he was like second or third in innings, but he was uh, he pitched a lot of innings, a lot of batters. He also led the league in wild pitches last year, 18 hmm. wild pitches in a season. But he was really good. He was fifth in the Cy Young voting in the American League on a pretty not great team. So that kind of tells you all you need, all you need to know about how good he was last year. Yeah, Lance Lynn's good. Uh, he's cheap in terms of like next year as well. He's under contract for next year, which is very yeah. valuable for a team like the Braves that's trying to be budget conscious. It would cost a pretty penny, I would imagine, in terms of prospects or whatever you want to send to the Rangers. But that's the uh, if if Clevenger's the number one scenario and might be uh, too high of a cost, Lynn is probably the scenario that is the most reasonable, oh, but yeah. also costs a lot. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, I think this is just me guessing now, but I don't think you're going to get Lance Lynn without like Drew Waters or something like that. Like you got you got to give up something of pretty good value to get Lance Lynn. It's not going to be a uh, amalgamation trade where you throw in a bunch of mediocre parts together. It yeah. may not be Pache for Lenslin, but I think someone like Waters or someone near the top of your prospect heap almost has to go to Texas in that deal. Yeah, yeah. And without knowing the ups and downs of the Rangers farm system, yeah, maybe Waters, maybe one of the two catchers, either Langoliers or Contreras. Lynn is legitimately good. Now, again, it's that trade off of what do you want to give up for, you know, literally one month this year plus playoffs and then in the next season. Um, if Lynn is the guy that he was last year and he's continued to be, I think you could probably justify it. The Braves are trying to win uh, a playoff series. They're trying to win a division. They're trying to win a World Series. Lynn is the kind of guy who certainly makes you a good team. I think if the Braves added him, uh, it get, makes them a much more realistic uh, World Series contender, contender to win a couple of playoff series this year. Um, but is that what you, you know, do you want to give up one of your your premier position prospects uh, for a year and a half of a guy who, while good, um, 
you know, it's always that that question that front offices have to face. For sure, and that's an interesting one. We'll see uh, what Anthopolis has up his sleeve. I will ask you, and we're this is now reckless speculation time because we don't know anything at this moment, and Anthopolis does his best to make sure no one knows anything about anything they're going to do. Do you have a preference? Like, what's your favorite combination of player and contract situation and reasonable price? Because, you know, we're, we're guessing, but we kind of know that, you know, yeah. Clevenger for cheap isn't going to happen. Something <laughs> like that. Um, what's your favorite, like, combination like your favorite target on this list, if you have one. So I think Kyle Seeger for me is the one who makes the most sense. He's a guy who, uh, you know, 33 years old. Um, for those who don't know, of course he's out with the Mariners in Seattle. So his games start when most of, most of our East coast listeners are going to bed. Um, but Seeger was a guy who was really good early on in his career. He got a big contract. He had a really weird stretch where he was bad um, but then over the last 18 months or so, he has been really, really good. He's hitting, uh, he's crushing the ball this year. He's a lefty, he's third base. He's, he's not great defensively, um, but you look at this lineup, and I think while this lineup is, is quite good, even without a Kyle Seeger, if you put his power bat, his power left-handed bat in the middle of that order, uh, you know, you, you, in theory, talk about starting a game with Acuna, Dansby, Freddie, Ozuna, Seeger, uh, you, you go down the list, that is a genuinely good lineup that is a lineup for my money is just as good maybe not quite but but pretty close to what the Dodgers are running out there every night and we know that the starting rotation is going to have issues so what do you have to do you have to outscore teams and you have to have a better bullpen bullpen's been great lineup I think has the potential to be good Um, the one drawback with Seager is he's 33 he's owed some money Uh, next year he's owed some a decent amount of cash I think it's uh, 15 million. And then if he's traded, he has a vesting option for 2022. Then you get into a 34, 35 year old third baseman in 2022. Um, but I, I think because he's been so good over the last year and a half, um, you could DH him in theory as well. You could still have Austin Riley play on occasion uh, against lefties. You could have him play over Adam Duvall. You could have him play over Nick Marcakis. Um, Seeger's probably going to need a day or two here and there. You can make it work, and it gives you genuinely one of maybe the three or four best lineups in the league. And because, as we've said, Seattle is in no real place to win, and I think they would probably prefer to play their young guys at this point. Uh, Seager is not going to be around the time they're good again in you know 2023 or whatever it is. Um, I would think the Braves could get Seager for a reasonable cost, really a minimal prospect cost. I would imagine Seattle is just looking to move uh, on from his contract. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean – I, I totally agree that if you can get him for a reasonable amount of capital, you could do that, especially if it involves sending Ender to Seattle. That's a way to make it a lot more palatable, I think, because, you know, as we mentioned numerous times, Ender's money for next year still matters. Whether it should or not is a different question, but we know it does. We know that if Ender was uh, an expiring contract this year, I'm not sure he'd still be on the Rays roster. That's my guess. Uh, he might have been moved on from at this point in time. But because he is owed real money next year, if you could send that to Seattle, that might that might soften the blow a little bit. Also, I think I mentioned it briefly earlier, I think a combination deal where maybe you get Seager and Tywin Walker. Um, not that Walker is sexy at all, but as someone who can maybe fill a spot for you in the rotation, um, yeah. Seager's making a lot of money. I get all that. That's the, that's the worry. But when, when Jeff Passan mentioned something unprompted in a column, uh, I know it was an idea, it wasn't a report, but... Jeff Passan doesn't really have ideas on his own. I don't think that are like coming out of, out of completely nowhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. it's a situation where I'm sure there is 
some common sense element, but there's probably some something somewhere that, that tells you that actually could be on the table for Seager to Atlanta. So, yeah, I would be interested in that. I think fans may not understand the logic behind it because you have some people that really like Austin Riley still. By the way, by the mm. way, who looks better right now? Austin Riley has been looking better the last week or so. I want to mention that because we've been pretty pessimistic. I will acknowledge that he looks much better. I hope that continues. Um, but you have the combination of Riley fans who believe that he'll be the guy long-term. And also, um, if you bring in Seager, you still have Riley. You mentioned the potential to play Riley all over the place and also DH him a little bit, etc. I'm with you on that, but we know how this goes. There's a, The versatility aspect is sometimes overlooked with the fan yeah. base. Sure. So I'm with you. I think this actually does make a lot of sense. The cost is significant, and you would need to buy it from Liberty Media, which we don't, we don't know if they're going to get that. But uh, sign me up for Kyle Seager at a reasonable price. I think he's not that overpaid. He probably isn't overpaid at all, frankly. No. As long no. as he's healthy, he's not a bad contract. The problem is if he gets hurt or, or if he falls off a cliff. Because, there, there, I mean, two years ago, you mentioned it before, but 2018, he was pretty bad. Um, every other year, though, that he's been in the majors, he's been at least a starting caliber player. And, yeah. you know, I know it sounds like a lot of money to be paying him uh, what – it's the numbers that we haven't written out here, 18 million, 15 million. That's a lot of money, but it's not in the grand scheme of things. If you're getting production from that player, I know the Braves have been very cheap and able to generate value for from guys who are making less than that. But sure. Kyle Seager at 15 million a year is not a bad value. No, as long as he's no. healthy. Well, and again, I, I don't want to always compare this, the Braves to the Dodgers, but we say it all the time. The year the Braves, 2018, lose to the Dodgers in the NLDS. Game four, they had Jock Peterson and Max Muncy sitting on their bench. Those are two guys who are going to start for probably 27 or 28 other teams around baseball. There is no such thing as having too many good players on your team in any sport ever. There is no (laughs) such thing. And if you want Austin Riley to play every single day, well, guess what? You can still work him in the lineup three or four times a week. It's not going to kill his development. If anything, it's going to give him a better chance to be successful because he's going to be able to face left-handed pitchers. You can kind of pick and choose. You know, you don't, you don't start him against Garrett Cole, but maybe you start him against uh, whoever the Marlins are throwing out there that weekend. Um, you can pick and choose your spots for Austin to make him successful. And again, if you can add a good baseball player, the cost is reasonable and he fits what you need, which Seager's bat would certainly help this team win baseball games. I'm in total favor of it. 10 times out of 10. Yep. I'm with you. And it's not, it's not our money either. We'll see what they do with it. <laughs> True. Yes. But sign me up for Seager, especially if they can get uh, one of the pitchers thrown into the deal to kind of make that combination. And that's like a very Anthopolis kind of move to plug two holes at once. Um, not that Seager is like a hole to plug, but he is just unquestionably better slash safer than the other third sure. baseman right now. Sure. So, and as Ozzy comes back, I know you have Camargo still, but Seager's just better than those guys Oof. at the moment. So. Speaking of which, Johan Camargo, man, that that's just not working. I mean, it's not. Uh, we could spend I more hope, time on that at a later yeah. date. We, we've <laughs> kind of buried the third baseman a little bit, and there were signs from Camargo too uh, a few days ago. But yeah, I mean, if. I was in favor of Riley playing anyway because regardless if you expect both those guys to be kind of similar and they were struggling they were struggling at a similar level for much of the beginning of the season if they're going to be anywhere close you just play Riley because at least Riley has the upside and the power and the youth and the prospect status Camargo is just a basically a utility infielder Oof, and that's what yeah. he is um and I think 
sadly, I was kind of, I think I've been kind of proven right on that one. I, I didn't want to be because I didn't really ever believe in the bat and it just never, it, it happened for one year. It was, it was nice. It was majestic. Yeah. I didn't buy it then. I don't, I don't buy it now. So, <laughs> yeah, I was hoping. I had hopes for Johan. I mean, I think he's, to his credit, you know, he was a guy coming up through the farm system. He was really kind of a nobody. He was a middle infield utility prospect, and he, he turned it into, a, like you said, a really nice year. He had year one great year. Yeah. And last year it just didn't click, and maybe he wasn't professional enough and pouted a little bit about bringing in Josh Donaldson, which which was obviously the right move, and he was given a chance, and it's, it's just not working out for Johan again, not that one month in this weird year means anything long-term, but um, – it's just get well soon, Ozzy. We we need we need Ozzy back at second base. Yep, that's uh, well said. Okay, well I think we are done for now. Unless you have final thoughts, I do want to plug one thing, uh, a couple things actually. We have always stuff, uh, have stuff on the site, but there was a a nice piece from Daniel at Talking Chop talking about the sellers who were uh, sort of on the market. So that that's a very trade deadline focused yeah. piece. Also, we've been uh, knocking it out on all the Ian Anderson content on the site. And uh, Ivan the Great, the legend himself, wrote about um, 80 plate appearances and kind of that benchmark and <laughs> where guys are. And that was he's always interesting and very smart. So check out all that stuff on the site. But anything, anything to plug, Scott? Anything else you wanted to add to the conversation? No, as always, just keep checking it out. Of course, if there's any trades or, or trade rumors, maybe we'll get some. We have an off day on Thursday. Maybe we'll get a, a juicy trade rumor tomorrow just to kind of get everything going. You know, there's a little bit of. Uh, we'll call it speculation from one of the local radio stations earlier today, which which drummed up some interest. And it is trade deadline season to be sure, so uh, we will we'll see. But no, thanks to everybody for for listening, and uh, be sure to check out the site. We'll have lots of good stuff the next four or five days. Absolutely, uh, please subscribe to this podcast. That was the one of the reasons why we, why we wanted to do the podcast tonight was because there is the off day tomorrow, so kind of give you some time to listen to it midweek and uh, prep for the trade deadline but uh, a weekend series also approaching that we'll have full coverage of on the site and also on the podcast like i mentioned before at the top we will do a podcast if there's a big trade of some sort um i'm not sure it'll be if it'll be that day but we'll do as fast as we can and if nothing else we'll have a wrap-up podcast um probably monday night after the deadline is over again monday four o'clock p.m eastern time is the deadline so stay tuned for all of that subscribe read the site we'll see you next time Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.